And so what I'm going to talk about this morning is I'm actually going to talk about God's plan for Israel. And I'm going to talk about how your part is in that. But I'm going to come at it because this is the way Paul comes at it from his perspective. Now, we, when we started this series on Romans, the, the, the thing we said right at the start is that the thing you see in Paul is this incredible change in the man himself. And so when Paul comes to writing this stuff, you, you have gone from a man who was a devout Jew who kept all the rules, who was the, the sort of Pharisee of the Pharisees, to somebody who's had such a transformation that his heart is breaking for the Jews because that he, that they've missed Christ. And, and you see this, you, you know, you've got this man who murdered Christians on behalf of the Jews, standing as a Christian with love for the Jews. And, and it, it really comes out because you can, what's happened is a transformation. And that transformation is about the love that God has put in him. You see, under the new covenant, we, we don't operate by trying to prove ourselves to God and keep rules. We operate because we have love inside us yeah. and we love people. And so when, when Paul, Paul gets to this, it's almost like he's finished telling us about how we walk in the spirit. And he, he gets to the end of that. And he, I just imagine him sat there and his heart is breaking for his people because of that love that's deep in him. And... Um, this is what he says. Uh, so we're going to be looking at chapters from chapter 9 onwards this morning. We're going to do a big overview. I am telling the truth in Christ. In other words, you who are reading this might not have expected this of me, but because of what Christ has done in me, this is, this is what I'm telling you, and this is the truth. I'm not lying. My conscience bearing witness in the Holy Spirit. I think he's getting like kind of this idea, this must be a shock to you guys that I'm saying this, because I am so changed that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and separated for Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Now, I want you to personalise that for a moment because that love that Paul's talking about there is actually the love you carry. Because when you were born again, Christ's spirit became one with your spirit and he shed his love abroad in your hearts, Romans 5, 5, which we've looked at. So we are meant to flow in that love. Our, our life is about letting Christ love people through us. And what Paul's saying here is that when you, when you move in that love, reaching others with the truth of God's love for them, is imperative. We, we can't just um, sit and, and say, well, it's not important because I'm okay. What Paul's saying is there's such a transformation that takes place in us that from that love, it compels us to show that love and reach others with that love. And, and one of the things that I really think is a, a, a huge revelation that God I think he's almost brought it back on the agenda and we'd forgot this, is that, you know, we can try all sorts of ways of reaching people and we do try all sorts of ways and we have tried all sorts of ways. 
But the times, the periods when we have seen greatest fruit in terms of people coming to Christ and sticking with Christ, because they're not always the same thing. So people who actually become maturing believers. The times in the, the, the time of faith life is when lives have been changing amongst us. And there's some sort of dynamic that takes place. And I guess this is why Christ tells us to make disciples and not converts. And there's a dynamic, and it's this, that changed lives change lives. And, and when people see the changing us, when we are different, it affects the people around us. And, you know, I, I'm seeing that, that dynamic play out in so many lives in faith life at the moment. That the, the impact of what God is doing through, in our lives through his grace is affecting people around us and drawing them to him because they're seeing a God that they want to relate to who actually makes a difference in lives. You know, there's, there's something about letting God change our lives that will change the people around us because the people around us have had so much of us telling them that, our life, that they need to change their lives and not seeing in, in, in us. Now we need to start showing them our changed lives so that they can see the truth of what we say, the validity of it. And so Paul here, he, he's, he's saying, right, my heart is breaking for these people. But then he, he's got a question because he, his question is this. In all the Old Testament, God made lots of promises about Israel and Paul, the reason Paul's heart's breaking is he's got this deep question inside him, is did God not keep his promises? Did God's promises fail? How many of you have asked that about your life and, and things that you expected to see? Did God's promises fail? And Paul's got this very real question, like, I expected this and yet I've not seen it. And he, he concludes that, Basically, the, the, the whole point of what he's going to say is this, that God's promise has not failed. Israel's failure is Israel's own failure. The promise is true, but they did not receive it by faith. And that is the only way that you can receive from God. God's word didn't fail, but Israel failed to live by it. So we can see that in verse 6. It's not as, no, as though the word of God has failed, for they are not all Israel who are descended from Israel. Now, I want to bring out a couple of things from that. Firstly, for us, we can be sure that God will always keep his promises. Because even, it, even in this, Paul's saying, God kept his promises. So for us, wherever we are, whatever we, we, we are facing, going to face, whatever we uh, are looking for from God, whatever the desires of our hearts, God's promises will never fail. He, he never breaks a promise. He cannot lie. God's promises for you are the same yesterday, today and forever. They're always yes and amen. So if you can find it in the word of God, it's yours. It's yes and amen in Christ. So if it's there, it's yours. And, and we receive it by faith because of what Christ has done, not on the basis of what we can do. So God's promises for, for us never fail. And we, re, we, we receive them and we're in the process of receiving them. And we're growing into that understanding of his grace and we're receiving more and more. And that's how it works. So 
Paul says that that's the case. But what he's saying is there are two Israels. And it's not the physical lineage that God is talking about. It's the spiritual lineage. And for the spiritual lineage, those who put their faith in God, God's promises worked. They, they happened. But for the, 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 the physical lineage, that's not what it's about. He's, he's, he's basically saying this, this isn't about a, a, um, because of where you were born. This is about the one who gave you new birth. This is about faith. This is about believing in God. And what he says is those who received it, God kept his promises and the word worked. And he, and he uses these, this phrase that those, it's about those who are Jews inwardly, not those who are Jews outwardly. About those who are Jews inwardly, not those who are Jews outwardly. Now we can learn from that. And the reason we can learn from that is that our faith is not about who we are outwardly. There's a lot of people... You know, if you, if you went and did a census in this country, there's a lot of people will say, I'm a Christian, and they'll also say, I'm a born-again Christian. And yet you don't see it. Because you, you can have a lot of religion with no change inside. But what you can't have is change inside that doesn't produce change outside. So we, we look at what's going on in us, and, it, and it's our... our, our Letting God live through us, letting the fruit of the Spirit come to the fore that's important for us. Are you getting this? So, although he's talking about Israel, there's some really important lessons that we can hear. That our journey, what, what God is about with us, is relationship. He's not interested in our religion. Jesus was, in some senses, anti-religion. Because the covenant that we have with God requires nothing of us except to believe him. And that's a real blow for people who want to be religious. That's a real blow who want to take, for people who want to take credit. That's a real blow for people who want to be the centre of attention and for it all to be about them. Because Paul's saying none of that counts in God's system. None of that counts in God's ways. So... We look at it and we, we, we say, right, God, change me inside. Show me who you have made me to be and let me be that person. And we believe him. You see, the truth is this, that religion won't get you to Jesus. Let me show you that. Actually, first of all, let me show you something else. God's purpose... In everything he's done from the beginning of time is to have a family. Is to have children. And it's the children who inherit. And God made a promise. He made a promise to Abraham. And he said, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you outrageously so that you can be a blessing to other nations. And he made lots of other promises to him about how he would be fruitful, how he, the, his descendants would be like the number of stars and the sand on the shore. And he changed his name so Abraham could never forget it. And so he makes this promise to Abraham to be blessed, to be a blessing. And what, what we find is that everyone who believes in Christ gets grafted into that same blessing. So it's ours. We, we become of the family 
that receive that blessing. We, we become one of the grains of sand or one of the stars in the sky because by believing in Christ, we get grafted into that blessing. So it, it was originally just for the Jews, but now it's for us too. And that's cool, isn't it? Because God says this, he said, I blessed Abraham in all things. Even though Abraham didn't walk perfectly, God blessed him in all things. Abraham was hugely blessed in his life. And the reason he was hugely blessed is because even though he failed sometimes, he understood that the blessing that came to him was in order to bless others, not to make him... The, the, I don't know what my mum would say, the bee's knees or the be all and end all. But it wasn't about him. It was about the, the blessing on him came as a result of him giving the blessing away. And it's the same for us. The blessing on us, because we're grafted into that, comes from um, giving that blessing, seeing that what, what we have to be blessed with is in order to bless others. And the more we bless others, the more we get blessed. That's the way that, that it worked for Abraham and that's the way that it's meant to work all down through the generations and that's the way it works for us now because we're grafted into that same family. You see, Jesus didn't start a new family, he just put us in his existing one. Let's go on to uh, verse 29. Just as Isaiah foretold, so basically what uh, Paul is saying is that, you know, remember when God made these promises? Well, this is what happened. Except the Lord of the Sabbath had left us a posterity, of a remnant, we would have become a Sodom and would have resembled Gomorrah. So what he's saying there is, if there hadn't been a remnant who believed God on the basis of faith, then we wouldn't have had anything that would have helped us. So God's plan through the ages has something to do with remnants, people who will take him at his word, believe him and run with it. And he's saying that God preserved a remnant in Israel. What shall we say then? That the Gentiles who didn't pursue righteousness attain righteousness, even the righteousness which is by faith. But Israel, the people group, those who were born into being an Israelite, pursuing a law of righteousness didn't arrive at that law. They could never keep the law. They couldn't make it. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith. But as though it were by works, they stumbled over the stumbling stone. Just as he'd written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offence. And he who believes in him will not be disappointed. The stumbling stone is Jesus. And, and what that's saying is this, that the issue isn't birth. God loves the Jews. God loves everybody. He loves everybody who's ever existed. Yeah. Um, and... He's never wavered on that and he will never waver on that. He hasn't rejected anybody. He hasn't replaced anybody with anybody. He loves everybody and he isn't waving on it. But, and, and because God is like that and because we've got the spirit of Christ within us, he's saying, you have that heart towards Israel too. You have that heart towards the Jews too. Because I still have that heart towards them. So I'm expecting you, my children, to have that heart towards them too. Because a lot of what was going on then and, and has gone on for, I guess, 2,000 years now is people thought, well, God's finished with these guys. 
And God's saying, I'm never finished with anybody. Where, you know, wherever you fall, I never finish with you because I love you and I want you all to come and be part of my family. So wherever you are, you know, like however far you've, you think you like, have drifted away from God, if you think like, man, I've really wasted the last three years of my life and I'm further away from God than I ever was before, he still loves you. Yeah. He's not mad at you and he's calling you back to him. And, it, and it's not like he's lost you. He's just trying to grab a hold of your heart again. And, and see, but you see, what he's saying here is you can't work your way back to me. You can't work your way back to me. The, the issue is this. It's the, about the way we see Jesus. And, and people who want to approach Jesus based on their own standing, based on their own efforts, based on their own good works, based on their own talents, their own gifts, that I'm better than you, I can do better than you, that I, I've done this, I've fulfilled that, I'm an amazing person. He says that they're the sort of people that fall flat on the face in front of Jesus because they miss him completely. When we make it about what we can do and who we are and where we are, you know, I was born into a Christian country. Well, hardy how, so we're a lot of people. You know, when we make it about who we are, we miss Jesus. When we make it about who he is and who he is in us, we find Jesus. That, that's all he's saying there, that the, the, the more you make it about what you can do, the more you will stumble and miss the whole point of what Christ has done. Are, are you getting this? This should be like liberating, it should be freedom. Because what it's saying is that we receive from God and what we need from God isn't based on us. So we can't earn it, we can't press in, we can't push through, we can't earn, get, you know, do all these things to get our breakthrough. We receive by faith. We've got to unlearn religion and receive by faith. Because that's where it all is. That's where the provision is. Because God loves us. The thing that's stopping us, that love getting to us, is we're falling flat on our face because we're trying to get it for ourselves based on what we can do. And based on how good we are at doing church and doing religion and all the rest of it. Anyway, that's enough for that. Now, coming back to this remnant... Because, you see, God's method right through history has been to use a remnant. He's always preserved a remnant. Even when, in, you know, with the flood, there was a remnant. Eight faithful people. Eight faithful people started faith life. A remnant. Why? Because we want to take God at his word and believe him. And there will always be a radical remnant that will take God at his word and believe him. And there'll always be a radical remnant that will say, it's not about me, it's not about what I can do, it's all about him and I'm going to glorify him. I'm going to let him live through me. I'm going to lay down my life and just let him live through me, love people through me, bless people through me, care for people through me. Because I can't do it. I'm limited. But he isn't. And I'm going to let people see him instead of seeing me. And, and God's calling us to be that radical remnant. 
You might not realise it, but you are chosen by virtue of choosing to sit here this morning, to hear this, to be a radical remnant. You should say amen to that. Try amen. amen. I want to be a radical remnant. Even if it is hard to say. <laughs> so, let me just show you this. So, what, what he says is that God maintained this remnant amongst the Jews, believing Jews who approached God on the basis of faith instead of uh, by their own works. Uh, chapter 9, verse 27, that I've just read, uh, just before what I've read. Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, it's the remnant that gets saved. And then uh, chapter 11, verses 5 and 6, he says this, In the same way then, there's also come to be at the present time a remnant according to God's gracious choice, but if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. So what he's saying is that God has been at work in Israel to maintain this remnant throughout the generations. And that remnant is still there today. Because that's God working his plan. He's saying there will always be people who will respond to the truth of the gospel. And, 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 that, and my plan is that I have preserved a remnant in unbelieving Israel to save Israel. I have preserved a remnant in unbelieving England to save England. I have preserved a remnant in unbelieving Cambridge to save Cambridge. His plan, that's the way he works. I don't know why he works like that, but that's the way he works. That's the way he's ordained things. That's his, his pattern. And God's calling us to be, today, a radical remnant who'll carry his power and carry his love to reach people, to change people, to have our lives changed so we can change lives. Are you getting this? Yeah. Right, good, because I'm going to get even more meaty now. Now, I want you to see this as a positive encouragement. Let me take you to chapter 10, verses 2 to 4. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they didn't subject themselves to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Law, rule keeping, religion has nothing to do with our relationship with God when we believe. Okay? Amen. Now, what does that mean? It means this. It means don't mistake zeal, noise, and passion for real faith. And I, I, I've, I've carried this, like, sadness for years that I have seen so many young people and older people who have been passionate, zealous, hungry for God, on fire, and going through all this stuff, and getting 10 years later, being totally burnt out, because it's not about externals. It's about knowing inside you the confidence that you are loved by God. You see, we, particularly in this age, particularly in this media age, you know, with all the Christian TV channels and all the Christian publications and all the internet stuff, we are right now mistaking passion and zeal for truth. 
We're not interested in what somebody's got to say. We're interested in what they look like and what noise they make and how excited they seem and what stories they've got to tell. Well, that's great. But then we see them fall and we get disillusioned. (laughs) Because it's not about zeal. Zeal without knowledge of God's grace is no good. So what I'd urge you is to use a bit of discernment about what you're looking at. Do you get this? And, and so he's drawing this parallel. He's saying, look, Israel, the Pharisees, were really zealous for God. But they had no clue who he was. So let's start with who he is and live from that place, not with all the other stuff. I'm trying to build a church. I'm on, you know, fantastic ministry. Oh, have you seen this ministry? Have you seen that ministry? No, it's about. You see, that's great. But it's no good to you. Because you want to know how your life gets changed. You want to know how this works for you. I don't want to hear other people's stories unless I can actually get something from them that will help me. And so we have to get this down to a level where it changes us. And not mistake zeal for help. Okay. So basically, Paul says, I know God is always faithful. even when we're unfaithful. And he knows that Israel has fallen and missed Jesus. But what he's saying is that the fall, falling away, wasn't total. That although Israel missed Jesus, the remnant didn't. And God is still working out his plan through that remnant. And then he says something even more radical. He says... Guys, I just want to tell you this, that even though you think Israel missed it, it's not final. I haven't given up. It's, I haven't, my plan hasn't failed. It's, it's not final, the state that you see now. Now, that's a shock to arrogant Gentiles. But put it on the other side. When you fail... You want a God that hasn't finished with you yet, don't you? God's heart is he never finishes with us. He never gives up on us. He hasn't given up on Israel. He hasn't given up on us. And that's a good thing. Because I fail. How does Paul know that? Paul knows that, that God hasn't finished yet. Because he knows God. He knows God never gives up on anybody. And if he never gives up on anybody, he isn't going to give up on Israel who he chose to show the rest of the world what he was like. They might not have done it, but he hasn't given up on that that passion that he has for them. The same way he hasn't given up on any of us. And he hasn't given up on anybody who doesn't believe him yet. And because of that, Paul comes back and he goes like, you know that guy two chapters ago who was really heartbroken? Well, I found hope. I found hope that this 
that I see in my people isn't the end of the story. And he uses an illustration to tell us how this is going to work. So basically what he's going to do now, he's going to switch to talking prophetically. He's going to prophesy what is to come. He's going to reveal God's plan with specific application to Israel, to the Jews. And he uses his illustration, chapter 11, verse 16. Have any of you heard this before? I know if Maggie and Phil have, but any, any of the rest of you? Joyce has, yeah. But isn't it amazing how there's so much good stuff in here and yet we never talk about it? I, I, sometimes, I was talking to somebody yesterday and I said, we were talking about like, the revelation that God gives us and how we see it. And I sometimes wonder what people do talk about from the Bible most of the time if they don't talk about these things. Because the number of people who came yesterday and said, I've never heard this stuff. Thankfully, none of those people were from faith life. But it's like, <laughs> I've never heard this stuff. And I'm going, like, how can you not have heard it? But the truth is, we seem to talk about like little tiny bit of the Bible and, and not the whole picture. And, and so we end up with a God who gives up on people, who, who doesn't care, who's all over the place, who's distant, he's random. And it's not true. God cares deeply right now about you. And he's big enough to care that deeply about every single one of us. Anyway, that's my rant. <laughs> Chapter 11. He starts talking about an illustration about an olive tree. If the first piece of dough be holy, the lump also is. So basically, there's what, where you get your life where you get who you are from affects the whole if the root be holy the branches are too but if some of the branches are broken off and you being a wild olive were grafted in among them and became a partaker with them of the rich root of the olive tree don't be arrogant towards the other branches if you are arrogant remember it's not you who supports the thing it's the root that supports it all that's christ you will say then, branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. It's all about me now. Quite right, they were broken off for their unbelief. But you, standing by your faith, don't be conceited because you might end up in the same place. If God didn't spare the natural branches, Israel, neither will despair anybody because it's still all about faith. He's saying, don't get over into religion. Don't get over into thinking it's about you. It's all about the root, Jesus. And then in verse 23, he says, if they do not continue in their unbelief, talking about Israel, they will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. Okay, in the Bible, God uses two main illustrations for the nation of Israel. One is an olive tree and one is the vine. And in this illustration, what he's, he's, he's saying is that the, the cultivated olive tree, this whole olive tree that he's talking about, is the people of God. Those who believe and trust in him and receive him by faith. So that's the olive tree. 
And the root is God's redemption plan, the, the, the way that God gives life to his people. And the root for us as believers is Christ, him crucified, and the total victory of the cross, and the resurrection life that now flows from that root. And, you know, you remember when Jesus said, I am the true vine, and anybody who comes to me will be saved. But also he tells us to abide in that vine, to, to keep that flow of life that he gives flowing in our life. Now, the, the point of this is that the good stuff that we have isn't us, it's him living through us. And the minute we start to think it's about us, we've got a problem because then we start behaving like Israel did and thinking it's about us and not about the life of God living through us. And, and those who receive by faith have been grafted in. Now, what's the point here? Apart from that, which is a good point. Say, that was a good point, Mark. Yeah, I thought it was. I nearly missed it myself. So what he's saying is everybody, the aim is that you be true branches. And what's the mark of a true branch? The mark of a true branch is it receives its life from Christ. But what he's actually saying here is something even more radical. We've got a, an olive tree sat outside our garden window. And that, we, we actually have two. And a couple of years back, one of them died totally. And then, because we, we couldn't quite work out how to dig it out without digging everything out in that area, it's still, it's still there. Dead tree. Except it's not dead anymore. Because it started to grow back to life because it got um, re-engrafted or re-fertilised by a wild olive. Now, what, God, what, what Paul is saying here is that the wild olive that gets grafted in brings life to the original tree. Now, you've got to bear with me in that. So, normally, when you do, like, horticulture, you graft in good things... Uh, of the original thing to reproduce the original and what Paul's saying is this that that doesn't work now I'm going like okay I don't, I don't understand this and then I found this thing and it explained what you do to bring an olive tree back to life when it's dead and the only way you can do it is not to graft in a good olive branch it's to graft in a wild olive branch of a different strain and the purpose of grafting in the wild olive branch of a different strain is to bring the whole tree back to life. We're the wild olive branch of the different strain grafted into the whole tree to bring Israel back to life. That's what he's saying. How do I know that? I'll show you how I know that because he's going to say it. And what he's going to say, and this is my big ending so we can get excited now. Yeah, Roger's married to a wild olive, but we won't go there. <laughs> you, can, you can deal with that later, Olive. He's <laughs> saying two things. Firstly, we have been grafted in and we are equal beneficiaries of the blessing. That's good news for us. But he's saying God's plan has a second part. 
which is us being grafted in as equal beneficiaries of the blessing is going to have an effect on the whole. It's going to have an effect on Israel. Isn't God good? Yeah. Isn't he good that he doesn't give up on any of us? And what he's saying is that the destiny of both sets of people is interrelated. Originally, Israel was meant to be a nation that drew people to God because the nation saw how blessed they were. Now we are meant to be a people of God who are so blessed that draw Israel to God. It's the other way around. Let me show you that. And I'll show you uh, really quickly. Chapter 11, verse 11. I say then, they did not stumble so as to fall, did they? May it never be. So it's not the end of the story. But by their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make them. Why has salvation come to the Gentiles? To make Israel jealous. Now you might not like that word. You might not think that that's a great word. But chapter 10 verse 19 says, uh, I don't think I've got it up there. It's prophesied. Moses prophesied this back in Deuteronomy. I will make Israel jealous by that which is not a nation, by a nation without understanding, will I anger them. We are meant to be a provocation to the Jews because the blessing of God rests on us so that they desire it and they come back. That's how God's plan works. We are the radical remnant grafted in to bring the Jews back to salvation. Are you getting this? Yeah. Let me show you. I'll, I'll show you how this prophecy works. Let's go to the Amplified version. And you'll see three things here. I forgot to bring the Amplified, so I'm going to turn my back on you and read from there like you. I don't want you believers to be unaware of this mystery, God's previously hidden plan. So basically, I'm telling you now, this is the plan. So that you will not be wise in your own opinion. On this topic, there are too many opinions and no wisdom. That a partial hardening has temporarily happened to Israel to last until the fun lumber of the Gentiles come in. And so at that time, all Israel, that is the Jews, have personal faith in Jesus as Messiah, true Israel, the inward Israel, not the one by birth, will be what? Saved. Just as it's written in scripture, the deliverer, the Messiah will come from Zion. He will remove ungodliness from Jacob. This is my covenant with them. I will take away their sins. What is that telling you? It's telling you three things. It says Israel has experienced a temporary hardening. That Israel as a nation was hardened towards salvation by faith through Christ. Initially, they haven't believed God. They haven't believed in Christ. But the, it's partial. What's a partial hardening? It means that not everybody in Israel was hardened that way. There is the remnant still today. And the remnant still today, right now, in this moment, is a growing remnant. This has started. Just don't mistake the Israeli government for Israel and the Jews. Then you'll get it. This is for all the Jews right across the earth. 
It's partial because there's a remnant and it's temporary because God is going to revive them. And the way he revives them is when the church comes to its fullness, Israel is angered by it, they're envious of it and they say, we got it wrong. We need Christ like they have Christ. Change lives, change lives. We have to show them love for them to know that we changed, that this works. And God has promised right from the days of Isaiah that when that church, when we get this, there is a huge revival in Israel. There's an end time incoming, which is on a massive scale. Now you can say that doesn't matter and you can go, well, that's for somebody else. But it does matter. It matters because of this. That if we don't care about that, who do we care about? Yeah. It's not just about Israel coming in at the end. It's about a glorious church coming in at the end that they are part of. Yeah. How does that glorious church come? It comes when changed lives change lives. Yeah. When people actually see the love of Christ and the blessing of God resting on our life, they will be envious, jealous and angered by it and they will desire it. I just think God has this incredible plan. Yeah. You know, wherever we are, however far we, we drifted away or got this idea that it all depends on us, he hasn't changed. He hasn't given up. He never gives up on any single one of us. Yeah. And right now, if you, you, you're sat there thinking, well, you know, I've, I've gone away too far. You're wrong. You haven't. You never can go way too far that he doesn't care about you and he doesn't want you back. Yeah. Amen. Amen.